Amen. Well, I think it's important that, that um, we take time to go where, where Clark led us today to, to grieve, because oftentimes, I think in the church, we, we move on too quickly sometimes. Um, we lack in empathy sometimes. Um, we, we move to rejoicing, which is really where God brings us, but, but oftentimes at the expense of, of lament. And certainly in our culture right now, there's a lot of things to lament um, and then to cry out to the Lord as Clark led us to do, that he would um, be near and draw near to us and to those in need in this time. And so thanks, Clark, for leading us in that. Now today we're going to continue um, out of a series in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to discuss a topic that's mentioned um, quite a bit in the book of Proverbs, as well as elsewhere in Scripture. But it's seldom ever talked about in sermons, at least I've never, never heard a sermon on the topic we'll be considering today. And uh, to kind of leave you in a little suspense there, I'm going to tell you a riddle, okay? And the answer to this riddle is the topic of our discussion today, and it's, here's the riddle. I weaken all men for hours each day. I show you strange visions while you are away. I take you by night, by day take you back. None suffer to have me, but do from my lack. What am I? Any good riddle people out there? Sleep. The answer is sleep. Yes. <laughs> so good. I hate riddles, by the way, but I'm glad that uh, at least some of you are tracking there. Um, Sleep. Yeah, it's going to be on sleep today. And I must admit that one of the advantages of a summer series like the Proverbs is that it affords those of us who are on the teaching team in the Vine the opportunity to focus on topics that are uh, of particular interest to us. And it also affords us the opportunity to engage God's words in specific areas of struggle in our own life. And uh, for a long time, this issue of sleep, it's been a bit of a love hate relationship for me. Now, my wife would tell you uh, that generally sleep comes quite easy for me. I can fall asleep about anywhere. Uh, But I've had reasons and seasons uh, in which I've struggled with not sleeping well due to stress. Uh, I've wrestled with poor sleep during peak allergy seasons. Okay, that's a big deal for me. And in this regard, I've taken medications that help keep me awake, but at the same time, those medications that treat the allergy symptoms force me to take another medication to get me back to sleep again. Um, Probably like many of you, I've cheated my sleep often too much, uh, staying up late to watch a movie or to finish a project. Um, In light of my temptation to overwork, I've said things literally like this, I don't like sleep because it gets in the way of my ability to get things done. Um, And in this regard, I've taken pride sinfully in the fact that I can often cut short my sleep and kind of have a normal day, feel like there's little impact. And and though I do occasionally nap when I get behind on sleep, I find myself generally sleeping less than what the research tells you is most healthy for people. Okay, so though Carrie and I, we've both grown a lot in this area, she's my wife Carrie, but we... We're still a work in progress, and and the the Spirit of God has convicted my heart as I've thought about this. But you know what? I know that many of you are like me because in my research, I learned that 63% of all Americans say their sleep needs are not being met during the week. 
okay? About 15% of all adults between 19 to 64 say that they sleep less than six hours uh, on weeknights, which is far below the seven to eight that's recommended by the National Institutes of Health. Compared to today's study, uh, a study on sleep from 1964 shows that on average, we as a culture sleep an hour less a night than we used to 50 years ago. And according to the Centers, uh, Centers for Disease Control, sleep insufficiency, okay, that's what they call it, sleep insufficiency, it's linked to motor vehicle crashes, industrial disasters, occupational errors, that people who don't sleep enough uh, are more likely to suffer from hypertension, diabetes, depression, obesity, cancer, and an overall reduction in their quality of life, okay? Uh, it's estimated that 50 to 70 million people in the United States have sleep or wakefulness disorders. Interestingly, though, um, this is kind of an interesting fact. Did you know that, that without food, you'll die in about 14 days, but without sleep, you'll die in about 10 days, okay? Sleep is that important. Uh, in my conversation with a physician friend this week, he noted that though sleep is somewhat of a mis- mystery, scientifically speaking, that the treatment of sleeping disorders, um, it, that it's equally effective to treat those both with psychological uh, means as well as medical or medication. And, and this, this psychological component uh, with sleep problems, uh, it's, it's consistent actually with what we read in the scripture. And I'm going to go to Proverbs 3, 21 through 26. I'll be jumping around a lot today in Proverbs and other passages, but if you want to follow along here, this will be come back. We'll come back to this one again later as well. But Proverbs 3, 21 through 26, so go ahead and follow along with me. It says this, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught." So here we see a direct link there in verse 24 between one's ability to sleep and fear and anxiety. So another, another way of saying verse 24 is if you're afraid, you're, if you're not afraid, I should say, your sleep will be sweet. Now, recognizing the complexity of sleep issues, it would be irresponsible uh, to assume that all sleeping problems are spiritual in nature, okay? So that's not what I'm going to get at today. However, as we saw in Proverbs 3, and we'll see in other passages, the Bible is far from silent when it comes to matters of sleep. And I believe it has much to say to us related to how our spiritual health and how our, our theological view of sleep may influence our ability to sleep well at night, Okay? So let's go ahead and pray and just ask the Lord to work now, and then uh, we'll jump in with the rest of our time. Lord, thank you for your word, and that is incredibly practical to our life, that there are implications of the choices we make in, in simple things, even just like how we sleep and how we view sleep, that are so very important to you. 
and they're really a reflection of how it is that you're at work in our hearts. And so I just pray today that, Lord, as we explore this, that we would really be encouraged deeply, first of all, that your word is so relevant to these very issues, but, Lord, that we would be convicted as well, that, that at the heart of how we see you as God and how we see ourselves as people is, you know, deeply impacted in even these very, very simple uh, daily uh, activities that we engage in. And so I just pray that that would uh, strike us where we are at today and that your spirit would work within us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when interpreting scripture, you'll hear those of us who are part of the teaching team at the Vine say that in order to understand scripture, you need to understand the worldview of both the writers of scripture as well as the audience to which they were writing. And in this case, there's this very, very important understanding of God that was relevant to the writers of Scripture, and it's going to therefore inform our theological understanding of the topic today, which is sleep. And this understanding is that foundational to this teaching is the idea that we worship a God who never sleeps. Okay? We worship a God who never sleeps. And we see this in Psalm 121. Verses 1 through 4, and then verse 7. And I'm going to go read those now. It says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. So here we see the psalmist writes to Israel that their help in time of trouble comes from the Lord. That their God, he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always watching, always protecting, always guiding. This idea that God is always watching, it's also mentioned in Proverbs 15.3, which read the, reads, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. And, and Jesus himself, he affirmed this idea in John 5.17, where he was responding to uh, some Jews who were criticizing him for, for performing a miracle on the Sabbath, to which he responded, my father is working until now, and I am working. By this, Jesus meant that the Father has always been working. Since the very beginning of creation, he's always been active. And, and that this work can somehow consist or coexist with the principle of Sabbath rest, which was a Jewish understanding of God. Yes, he, he somehow observed Sabbath rest, but yet he was always awake, always working. So though God's rest... In the day, though God did rest in the days of creation, he did not sleep. So why? Why is it important for us to understand that God never sleeps? Well, the answer, it's in part because our need for sleep differentiates us or sets us apart from God. Remember that, that riddle that I shared at the beginning. It, it started with this line, I weaken all men for hours each day. So the fact that we need sleep magnifies our weakness and therefore magnifies God's strength. So another way of saying it is this. 
we need sleep because it's a metaphor. It's an illustration of our dependence on God. Now, the fact that we need sleep illustrates weakness. It really shouldn't surprise us because this is a theme throughout the scriptures, that we are weak. We need to understand this. It goes against our nature. It goes against the American dream and what we say about ourselves. But we embrace as Christians the fact that we are weak and that God is strong. In uh, 2 Corinthians 12.9, the Apostle Paul, he wrote about this. He said that the Lord told him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. So what Paul is showing us is that embracing our weakness, it somehow gives us access to the strength of God. So if you want to be strong in the Lord, you need to embrace your own weakness. And and this is the idea behind the belief that we need sleep, that we need to embrace sleep because God doesn't. It puts us once again in the position of recognizing our own insufficiency and our need for God. And you don't have to live long in this world to learn that you have weaknesses, right? That neither you nor those even around you can really fully be trusted to keep you safe at night, right? There's no assurances for any of us. But there is one assurance, and that is that there is one who can be fully trusted, and that's God. Why? Because he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always watching. He's always providing, no matter what it is that we're going through. So what this means, and this is kind of a big idea we'll hit again later, but what this means is that to reject our need for sleep is to ultimately reject our need for God. So now that we've considered this idea that the nature of God is that he does not sleep, let's now take a look at what the scriptures tell us about our sleep, in particular, how our sleep is affected by sin, okay? There are three primary ideas in which sin affects the ability to sleep well that we're going to see. And the first is in the category of laziness, okay? Because laziness leads us to abuse sleep by sleeping too much, okay? Look at Proverbs 6. 9 through 11, it reads this way. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And the the picture here, it's a person who uh, probably plays all night and sleeps most of the day. Okay, This tends to be associated with the teenager lifestyle, but I've seen it in every stage, okay? Now, the, the, so the idea is the hours of productivity, they're wasted in bed, okay? And, the, and what it's telling us is the consequence of this kind of behavior is poverty. Now, of course, I get it. This was written in an ancient culture where the light of the day was essential for work to get done. So to oversleep would be to miss out on the only opportunity that you had to make a day's wages, But even though that was the case, there's still relevance today. And and it's meaning for us that that when we sleep over when we should be working, when we're exchanging sleep for productivity by either sleeping too much or sleeping when we should be working, that's that's laziness. 
Okay, that's a sinful reality for our life. So laziness in this context, it's really loving sleep so much that you let it rob you of productivity. And this leads to the next effect of sin on sleep, namely that sin affects our sleep when we trust in our safety more than God. Okay, this is a relevant conversation in light of what's going on in our culture. Look, uh, look again, this is going to be the Proverbs I opened up with, Proverbs 3, but I'm just going to do verses 24 through 26. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So again, the picture here is, is quite simple. It's that Israel, if you trust in your own ability to protect yourself, it's going to result in sleepless nights. Okay, that, that even if the enemy comes, and that's what's interesting about these verses, it says, even if the enemy comes and brings ruin upon them, even then the Lord will be their confidence. So, so to sleep well doesn't mean that there's an assurance that bad things won't happen. But according to verse 24, the secret to sweet sleep is not the promise that bad things won't happen, but that no matter what happens, you can trust in God to care for you, to provide for you in your hour of need. Now, this doesn't mean you leave your front door unlocked at night, okay? Of course, it it doesn't give us a license to be reckless, but what it does mean is that once you've done all that you can to reasonably ensure your safety, from that point forward, you need to trust God. Now again, I said, I know this is relevant because of all that our country is going through and the nature of terrorism in our culture and all those things. Now, one unfortunate response to tragic events in our country and around the world is that you hear a lot of politicians capitalize on that, saying that no matter what side there is on, they, they lie on on the issues, they try to convince us that their views are the only way to truly make you, the American culture, safe. But what we need to remember is this. As Christians, there is no law and there is no agency that can ever make us completely free from danger. Our only ultimate hope for safety is not government, but God. Now, again, this is not to say that we don't pass laws, you know, that make things safer. But it's, what it does mean is it means this. We never put our full trust in those laws because as long as there is sin in the world, there will always be people threatening our safety. And the point of Proverbs 3 is that the safest place to be is not free from all human danger, but resting in the loving protection of your father who never sleeps. So we've seen that that sin not only affects our sleep through laziness, um, through our trust in this idea that we can be safe somehow, but sin also affects our sleep when we trust too much in our work, okay, and our need to be successful. And Ecclesiastes 2, 22 through 23, informs this picture for us. It says this, What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart 
with which he toils beneath the sun. For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So here's this picture of a person driven by work. Okay, the desire to be successful means this person works long hours, that even at night there are times they can't get their mind off work. And this means they never really rest. This could be just the weight of parenting. It could be the weight of relationships. It could be the weight of a career. Whatever it be, you, you, you get to the nighttime and you, your mind cannot rest. And, and this, this area of sin in modern terms is known as workaholism. Okay? And it's probably one of the most culturally relevant ways in which sin affects our ability to sleep. So when you sense your value is rooted in your ability to get work done and to be successful in work, then one of three things might happen. You'll either sleep too little, or you'll be more restless when you sleep, or possibly even be overly protective of your sleep, where if anyone interferes with your sleep, you get angry and you fly off the handle because that sleep is important for me to be successful. So whatever the case may be, in all of these things that I shared, the bottom line is that that like the man in Ecclesiastes 2, when success is most important to us, it's going to rob us of our ability to view sleep as an opportunity to express our need, our need for God. So we've seen how three different areas of sin affect our sleep. If you love sleep too much, it leads to laziness. If you love safety too much, it leads to fear, worry, or anxiety. If you love success or work too much, it leads to a heart that never really wants to rest. But there's another way, and I'm sure some of you have been waiting, hoping I'd say something about this. There's another way in which sin affects our sleep. And this is the simple fact that we live in a world broken by sin. Okay? It's just a world with hardships and sin and, and its effect all around us. And in 2 Corinthians 11, we see the Apostle Paul actually mention this in a list of, of all sorts of examples where he's sharing about his hardships that have come from following Christ. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. He describes his suffering this way. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night... In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. So here, here we see an example where Paul, he's not in sin, but he's referring to a world and a people because of sin that have caused him sleepless nights. So Paul's sufferings, I think in large part, were not because he was a guy you know, looking for trouble. Rather, he was simply following God's call for his life. And in doing so, he experienced dangerous trips, natural disasters. He experienced severe persecution from those who hated his message. And so his sleepless nights came in the wake of snake bites and shipwrecks and beatings. In other words, his sleepless nights were less about his sin and more about the sinful and the broken world in which he lived. Now, I know some of you, you have medical conditions, that have made sleep difficult. You might struggle with a health issue. 
mental illness, um, allergies that affect your ability to sleep. Others of you, you deal with family constraints. Okay, we've raised five kids. I get it. We have babies and we have toddlers that constantly wake us up at night. Perhaps you have a special needs child who demands your attention throughout the night or early in the morning. Um, Others of you find sleep difficult because you're forced to work a night shift or you get behind or maybe you're in a season where you're trying to work and do education and it does make sleep difficult, okay? Sleep can be challenging, but what I want you to hear, Vine Church, okay, so listen up is that whether the struggles you have with sleep are the product of your own sinful heart or the product of the broken and sinful world in which we live, the solution to all of these woes are still found in the very same place. Namely, by us learning to increase our trust for the God who never sleeps. Okay, I'm going to go to another psalm, Psalm 3, 1 through 6, and it, it reads this. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saving, saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Okay, so here we see King David. He's on the run run for his life from his son Absalom who overthrew him as king and was trying to catch him and kill him. His circumstances, not of his own doing, his circumstance, well, I mean, he he did have a hand in what happened, but, but the reality is he was experiencing the results of evil men trying to take his life. And, and these circumstances, they you know, would have given him every right to not sleep at night. And yet we see in verse 5 that David slept, that the Lord sustained him. The Lord didn't take his life. He woke him up. In other words, his rest didn't come from some infallible military strategy or an impenetrable fortress. His rest came from his impenetrable faith in an infallible God. Now, Clark referenced this a moment ago, but Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, come to me all who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we see here a beautiful example of how putting faith or trust in the person and work of Jesus, it's an invitation to a life that's at rest. Now, for those of you who understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know that when he died for our sins on the cross, he was extending us the ability to receive forgiveness by his grace and his mercy. In other words, The invitation of the gospel, again, it's an invitation to a life of rest, really. Because it's not of our work. It's not of anything we did or can do. It's the work of Christ done for us. And it's this picture of rest that can, by God's grace, transform a restless heart 
into a heart that can actually sleep well at night. A heart that doesn't abuse sleep, but sees it as an opportunity to worship God by expressing our dependence on him. Now, about a year and a half ago, I was placed on sabbatical in part because of my drive for success. Um, and it was driving me and it was driving my marriage and some relationships into a, an unhealthy place. And re- reality was that my inability to rest in the Lord, it was affecting things like sleep, personal health, relationships, okay? And so stepping away for a season, it was a humbling experience because it forced me to deal with pride. It forced me to embrace weakness, to say my value doesn't come from my work. And it, and it began a transformation in my heart. Now, it's, again, it's still a work in progress, but it was a game changer for me and for my wife and for just our family. And I, I think that perhaps some of you need to go on a similar journey, okay? A sabbatical may not be an option for you, but a heart transformation is an option for you. You see, learning to rest in God and protect sleep, it doesn't mean not working hard. Okay, and we see it, Proverbs 31. I, these verses are fascinating. In verse 15, it describes this godly woman. She rises early in the morning while it's still, while it's yet night. Okay, verse 18 says, and her lamp does not go out at night. So, so resting in God and even sleeping well at night, it doesn't mean we don't work hard. It doesn't mean that sometimes we don't work long hours. But what it does mean is that we don't love our work so much that it drives us to abuse sleep or others. Because our ultimate success, it doesn't depend on what we do in life. It depends upon who we worship. Learning to rest in God and protect sleep also doesn't mean that we don't occasionally enjoy a late movie and sleep in the next morning if, if your kids allow you to do that, okay, if you have kids. I served under a pastor who used to say, the most spiritual thing uh, you can do on a Sunday afternoon is take a nap. I remember this pastor I was under, he used to always say that. You see, learning to rest in God means that you can and take and should take time to enjoy a concert, to hang out with friends, to read a good book. But our desire for leisure and recreation recreation shouldn't drive us to laziness. It shouldn't become so important that we don't get the good and important things done around work. And and, and, And so we should be embracing the fruit of a life that's resting in God. So... Real practical, how is the Lord inviting you today to change the way in which you view your sleep, okay? How is he inviting you to change the way you view your sleep? You see, at the end of the day, overloving sleep or our safety or success, it can actually lead us to sinfully abuse our need for good and restful sleep. When we rest in the God who never sleeps, then police shootings, work schedules, fun with friends, that stuff never, no longer controls us. Why? Because we embrace our weakness and our need for God. 
Even if our ability to sleep well is beyond our control, and I hear you, some of you out there, you say, I, listen, I'd sleep if I could. But even if, even if it's beyond your control to get the kind of sleep you desire because of the broken world in which we live, we can, all of us, live in such a way as to know God as our shelter, our provider, and therefore, by God's grace, when he gives us the opportunity to sleep, we sleep well. We can celebrate those gifts of grace that he's given us and the opportunities to sleep. So, I'm going to wrap up with a quote by John Piper that beautifully summarizes the journey we've been on this morning. So, follow along with me. Sleep is a daily reminder from God that we are not God. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. But Israel will, for we are not God. Once a day, God sends us to bed like patients with a sickness. The sickness is a chronic tendency to think we are in control and that our work is indispensable. To cure us of this disease, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand once a day. How humiliating to the self-made corporate executive that he has to give up all control and become as limp as a suckling infant every day. Sleep is a parable that God is God and we are mere men. God handles the world quite nicely while a hemisphere sleeps. Sleep is like a broken record that comes around with the same message every day. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Don't let the lesson be lost on you. God wants to be trusted as the great worker who never tires and never sleeps. He is not nearly so impressed with our late nights and early mornings as he is with the peaceful trust that casts all anxieties on him and sleeps. Let's pray. Lord, what a convicting word for us today about the nature of sleep. And it causes us to worship because we serve a God who never sleeps. And I pray, Lord, that that reality would really transform how it is that we look at every aspect of our life. That stepping up and taking control, because so many of us just comfort ourselves with control, and I get it. It's tangible. It feels safe to us. But Lord, you want to remind us that there is nothing in this world that we can control that will ultimately assure us of safety. Our safety is in your hands. And so, Lord, help us to take a deep breath this morning and to begin to change the way we view his sleep, to begin to grant us the grace by which to work hard during the day, but to turn off the racing mind and to truly, by faith, believe that you're going to take care of us. You're going to take care of those deadlines Lord, I get it. Most of us, uh, in particular, I felt, you know, we felt this in the, in the parenting years with the career and parenting and all that. Most of us can never get it all done. 
We, we just have to accept that. We can't get it all done. It's just ne- there's always going to be more to do. But God, help us to, to see that as an opportunity, not as an obstacle, to be people who rest well. And so we pray that you'd just bring this full circle, a conviction of your spirit that would help us to apply this truth to all of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.